0: The Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils,
1: environment, rural business, and more. Brought
0: to you in association with the Scottish Government. Welcome to this Cropcast, where today we're going to be talking about integrated pest management. I'm Fiona Burnett, Head of Knowledge Exchange and Impact at Scotland's Rural College, and I'm joined today by my colleague, uh, Dr. Henry Creason who's a research lead on integrated pest management. So, I mean, welcome, Henry. And um, I think maybe it's best to start with the basics. So, I mean, we hesitate to say that integrated pest management is complicated because it shouldn't be, but it often means different things to different people. So maybe at a very high level, can you start us off with a, a high level definition of what we mean when we say IPM?
1: So IPM is a holistic approach to pest management, which aims to maximise profits whilst also minimising negative impacts of crop production on the environment. And it's really as complicated as you want it to be.
0: That's a good answer. And I suppose one of the things, well, it's one of my bugbears, is when people talk about IPM, they use it to mean just the kind of, if you like, the the biological add-ins or the things they regard as more alternative whereas actually what you're describing is much more about the whole system it's everything that you're doing rather than a few little bolt-ons to your practice would that be fair
1: it would I mean IPM works across various scales of space and time Um, and things can work at a landscape farm field crop or even a specific pest scale Um, and often some of the the key IPM components such as rotation we're going to have massive changes to the whole system and also an array of diseases, weeds and pests like slugs as well. But it's also true that um, the substitution of synthetic pesticides for effective biologicals is also considered an IPM practice, but it's not um, addressing all of the eight main principles of IPM.
0: Yep. And I mean, we can get on to maybe some of the challenges around, you know, Um, farming in more integrated ways but I mean we could maybe start with the positives and talk about some of the main benefits of of IPM so you know certainly you know I know at the moment the concerns around pesticide removals and resistance is kind of you know for me it's highlighting that there are benefits in that you know a a reduced reliance on pesticides but I mean Maybe you can describe some of the other benefits that we can look at. Uh,
1: Sure. I mean, that's one of the main ones. I mean, as you said, there's fewer and fewer active ingredients coming to market. So we're trying to preserve the effective lifespan of the active ingredients we have. And by adopting IPM techniques and anti-resistance measures such as mixing modes of action and reducing the frequency of application, we're going to delay the onset of pesticide resistance so we'll be able to keep using the pesticides we do have for a long amount of time but as you alluded to there are lots of other benefits of IPM if we're um, not specifically uh, tackling those weeds that pose little threat to the crop or we're only applying broad spectrum insecticides when absolutely necessary and when economic thresholds have been reached we're going to have a higher number of um, beneficials through habitat plant um planting as well as um not knocking them out through insecticides um which could have benefits in terms of crop protection if we've got more ground beetles to control slugs ladybirds and rove beetles to control uh, aphids then potentially we're going to need less insecticides anyway and, and those beneficials would in turn provide food for bird life to flourish, for example. I think the main um, benefit of IPM is that these more resilient, robust systems that are less reliant on high amounts of external inputs and tend to be more profitable over time and also less um, um, affected by volatilities in price with agri-inputs, which we're seeing uh, this year
0: in particular. Yes, so all the benefits of a more stable system there. And I think you know, it's probably important to say that we're not starting from ground zero, that a lot of what you are seem to be describing there is, is the good farming practice that people um, have been doing for a long time. So trying to diversify rotations, um, you know, try to keep diversity and mixtures on their farms and, you know, spread their business risks. Um, you know, these these all seem to be to be positives, but I mean, almost by definition they're what we're describing is a lot of very, very different components. So it's rotations, mm-hmm. it's varieties, it's, you know, different approaches to your targeting your pesticides, it's precision. It's also those, you know, biological alternatives that you've alluded to. So that's loads of options. So really hard to say what's better and what's worse. And you've obviously been working on an IPM, Scoring system. Um, so, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. I mean, start with why you thought it was needed, and then we can go on to how it was developed.
1: Sure. So, I think the industry needed a, a single metric to gauge IPM adoption so that we're able to monitor any changes in adoption over time and through that evaluate the success of our. R&D and our knowledge exchange activities it's also a key component of our national action plan response to the sustainable use directive and having a single metric um, it turns something that can be quite mysterious um, IPM into something that's comprehensible Um, the plan that we've developed and the metric that goes along with it Um, it's very high level and it takes about 20 minutes to complete this plan. So it's not going to give you um, a a farm specific, crop specific laid out plan for the next few years. That's something for you and the the on-farm decision makers, preferably working with your agronomist to to create such plans. But these plans, they'll highlight the sorts of things that you could be considering adopting. Um, But because, as you say, IPM encompasses so many things. It had to be suitably vague to, to be precise. <laughs>
0: That's a good way of phrasing it. Yeah.
1: almost positive I've stolen that of somebody, so <laughs> I'll claim it for now.
0: <laughs> we can add credits later. Yeah. Um, no, I, I really like it because, I mean, otherwise, you know, how do you say that, you know, a longer rotation is better than a, a fleecy barrier over your turnips? So that way of looking, being able to score your own farm and then just improving on that, I think, is, is a you know, really useful tool for people. Um, you know, that worry that you might be locked into a particular rotation because of where you are or what your markets are. But there are other things you can do using that scoring system to improve um, the things that you can change.
1: Sure, and some things are much easier and faster to implement than others. I and mean, talking about rotation, this can take a lot of planning. Um, mm. Contracts can be in place, the markets need to be there, What you, how you affect your crop sequence can have all these other changes on pests, but also your soils and that. Um, whereas something as simple as using a, a decision support system and action thresholds where available to reduce your pesticide inputs is something you could act now in the in the same season so there's a, as you say there's a great range there in terms of um, the ipm measures that are available um and the key thing to, to mention is that many people are doing a lot of these the, the more fundamental things already people mm-hmm. are selecting varieties based on their uh, disease resistance they're thinking about uh um, the sore pests and pathogens when designing rotations and these sorts of things as well so it's not something that you either do or you don't do there's a continuum and the work that we did our, our um, scoring system says that yes it's true there's people scoring 20% but there's also people scoring up in the 90s as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So I mean that's quite interesting of going I mean that's great that we're not starting from nothing at all um, and I know your work shows that Scottish farmers you know score better than um, perhaps some in other nations but that range that you're describing so what do some of those high scorers do that you know makes them high scoring farms? Any tips we can learn?
1: Sure well one of the main things um, is to actively seek the up-to-date advice on IPM practices and stay constantly staying in contact with the experts and having a good working relationship with your agronomist, as well as going out and attending workshops, discussion groups, um, crop walks, these sorts of things, all of these sort of um, practices of seeking out information have a tendency to lead to higher IPM score because it, it makes sense if you first have to acquire knowledge of how to implement the practice before you go ahead and, and implement it. But it's important to stay on top of things because, as you'll know yourself, things change, um, varieties, resistance breaks, new pesticides come along um, to replace others. So there are some uh, things that change season on season, even within season, because we're always responding to the weather. um, And that's important to stay on on top of.
0: Yeah, no, and there's, there's lots in that. But again, it's all sensible stuff that... You know, one of my interests is fungicide resistance, where we know, you know, again, that's a reason that the efficacy of fungicides change all the time. And for sure, the easy option is to, you know, ladle everything on at high rates and, um, you know, be the same every year. But actually, you know, that's an example of where keeping on top of the information lets you um, use fungicides sensibly and in quite specific ways. And the same with varieties and, you know, the changes to yellow rust that we've seen. Um, that's a great strategy while it works, but it needs you to to stay on top of that. So that I mean, that's interesting that almost what you're describing there is that the more aware people are of IPM, the more likely they are to be high scoring and picking up more of those those tips. Um I was going to ask you, about. I think it's interesting how you develop that scoring system because it is hard to compare apples and pears. So, you know, as I understand it, you... you I mean, this is, in effect, farmers' views of what's the most important elements in an IPM system.
1: Yeah, so um, it's really farmers and agronomists. So there was about 50 um, agronomists and farmers... Uh, with a few other policy makers and researchers in there as well that contributed to this IPM scoring system. So it's based on expert opinion, and we wanted to make sure that those involved in the decision process um, had their say because they'll know what's effective right now and what's practical on farm. Um, some of the studies that can be done uh by scientists can take years to get published and for that information to be disseminated. So, finding out what's happening right now um, and through the people that are actually doing this in practice um, is the most sounds like the most sensible way to basically come up with this scoring system. We wanted it to be relevant.
0: Yeah, you know, I I just feel that gives it sort of an integrity that. Um, this has not been handed down from ivory towers. This is kind of a, a bottom-up approach to going, actually, what works, what's useful, and let's put that together into into a score.
1: Yes, I mean, that was some of the, the, the failings, I think, behind some of the um, other attempts that other countries have had to implement a metric. It was two or three scientists sitting in a room deciding what should be done on farm level, and that's um, not the
0: way that we felt it should be done not to shoot ourselves in the foot, but probably not. Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: all working together, Fiona, yeah, to, exactly, to solve the yeah. problem.
0: <laughs> no, I, I'd, I'd like to say I just think that's you know, it, it, probably partly why it's taken off um, quite well uh, in terms of people filling it in and you know it, it being you know discussed and picked up by the voluntary initiative and so on, but. Maybe we can, I mean, you said that the plan takes about 20 minutes to complete, but how would a grower set about doing their own plan? Um, And I think you've developed options for different crops as well. So do you want to just say a little bit about the logistics of sitting down to do a plan?
1: Sure. Well, there are currently two different plans available on the Plant Health Centre Scotland website. Um, So if you navigate to that website, there's a tab at the top for IPM plans. There's one for arable crops, which is really broad acre crops. And there's also one we've developed earlier this year for grassland. There will be one coming out on specialist horticulture, um, hopefully by the end of this year. It's something that we're working on with the NFU and the NFUS, as well as the voluntary initiative and Scottish um, voluntary initiative as well. Um, So once you've gone and opened your plan, putting your your details because you Ideally, you'd want this to be sent to you as a PDF after you've completed it. And you'll just take one question at a time and just give your honest answer, really, because this is not a way of us uh, checking up on you or the government checking up on you. This is for yourself. Um, And uh, if you answer honestly, you're going to have a better chance of potentially increasing your IPM adoption and all the benefits that come along with that by considering the different options meant, uh, mentioned in the plan, and their benefits as well to pests, as, but also soils, biodiversity, uh, and eco- economics as well. So hopefully, through iterations of this plan, and it will continue to involve, and uh, we can push people into more robust uh, systems, less ex- uh, dependent on external inputs. And through that, um, we can boost profits and uh, uh, obtain some environmental benefits as well
0: yeah no I mean that's that's win-wins and I mean I think that is just a really key point you've made that this is about scoring your own farm it's not about comparing yourself to somebody else Um, and it really lets you look at how your system works and then explore the changes that you make and how that will change your score so that key piece that you're effectively baselining your IPM when you first complete the the plan And then you're comparing yourself to that score um, is a a really key one. And yeah, the data absolutely is is held securely and is is only for your your use. It will not be looked at on an individual level by anybody else. Um, It's funny, well, I was going to mention that completing a plan is also part of um, quality assurance schemes. So obviously most of our... Uh, arable crops go through Scottish quality crops um, where the IPM is is part of what you'll be audited against as well and you know the idea that our end users and our markets are interested in how crops are produced and ideally paying a premium would be something we can we can aspire to but I mean who else is looking at the plan Henry and and talking about it um, I suppose I'm nudging towards your work with the VI here.
1: Sure. So I've been working quite closely with the, the voluntary initiative um, and the, the National Farmers Union um, to de- further develop these plans. And, and really, a lot of work we're doing at the moment is um, dissemination of the findings and getting feedback to identify how we can improve these plans. I mean, this is really the the first iteration of the the second generation of these plans. And um, we're intending to put a lot more in there um, as as times progress. So we'll be adding in uh, links to current advice and information sources um, just in general around IPM, but it's so that people can go away and read and find out what people are doing right now and whether that can be applied on their farm. But really, These plans are to facilitate discussion with your main uh, pest management advisor. So it's once you've completed this plan, which is not an onerous task at all, um, sit down with your advisor and work out what could be done, whether it's practical to do so, and try to take steps now. Because some of these measures, such as designing rotation, changing rotation, you need to be looking five, six, seven years down the line. so making these plans now and committing to those changes is is very important but yeah it's true that the industry are very interested in these plans and I'll be giving a, a talk to the British crop production Cong- uh, Council at their Congress uh, in, at the first week of November which will have a, a lot of the um, the I suppose the big industries uh, involved um, AIC, AICC, um, all the big um, distributors, but as well as um, government, DEFRA and CRD will all be um, at these events. So I'm hoping that'll uh, that'll initiate a good discussion about the direction these plans could go. It's certainly likely that there'll be different levels to these um, sorts of IPM commitments. There'll be sort of... our our plan, and then there potentially will be crop-specific uh, IPM plans coming along out of a project that we're uh, currently doing with ADAS for DEFRA and the NFU. Um, so there'll, there'll be different sort of levels of intent and also um, expect, expectations in terms of change to commitment there as well. Um,
0: no, and I suppose that that's the the benefit you you've been working with a lot of people. Um, so there's a you know a shared way of thinking about about IPM and I know you've also been working with um, you know researchers and practitioners in Europe and further afield so you know that yeah again you know what what are they doing there Denmark for example is often held up as the kind of you know exemplar for IPM practices but of course You know, they went down the route of pesticide taxes and, you know, so, yeah, just interested in your experiences there and what's happening elsewhere that might either be worth learning for us or a signal of where we might be going.
1: Sure. So, um, yeah, so we do have a lot of collaboration with uh, Denmark and also other countries like Ireland as well. Um, We're all sort of dealing with a similar sort of um, crop protection issues. So it makes sense that we'll pull together on this. Um, You're right that... The Danes are often seen as the kings and queens of IPM. Um, they have a lot of investment in farmer discussion groups uh, head, uh, um, led by informed facilitation, uh, facilitators, these independent agronomists organised uh, and I think paid for, for by the, um, the farming unions. But you're right, they've taken a bit of a carrot and a stick approach. They've encouraged people to engage in IPM uh, activities and knowledge exchange being a key one there, um, but they've also introduced these taxes related to the ecotoxicity of pesticides, which restricts the use of, I suppose, the, the less benign pesticides because these taxes can be high. They can be 200, 300 um, percent. That all said, they they do have very few pesticides available to them. So um, unless managed correctly, like we're going to have problems, they're going to have problems with resistance to the few pesticides they have. Um, and we say that they're, yeah, they're the exemplars for IPM, but... There are other practices that they adopt quite heavily that we don't, such as mechanical weeding. It's very big in Scandinavia, which has all of its um, problems with regards to emissions created from soil disturbance and that, because a lot of them are disturbing the soil. So, yeah, the the grass is not always greener. Well, not on every aspect of it, anyway.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, we just work in such a connected system in agriculture that you can't change one thing without... Yeah, having to think about something like emissions or other, you know, effects, yield might be one. Um, so, yeah, it's never so simple that you can change one thing and it's an overt win-win. Um, and I suppose now we're nudging towards, we've talked about some of the benefits of IPM, but maybe we are getting to, you know, some of the challenges and the the trickier things here. So, yeah, I mean... What do you think will be the the harder things for for us to adjust to or to pick up um, in terms of moving towards enhanced IPM?
1: Well, one thing we have talked about a bit is rotations. But if you want to diversify your rotation, firstly you've got to have crops that are suitable to grow in your farm, and, and there also needs to be the markets there as well um, to encourage people to start growing more legumes, for example, because. Quite often in Scotland anyway, there's an inherent risk of growing of legumes struggling to get them out of the field and, on time and, and that not, not affects your rotation, these sorts of things. Um, but it's, you're right, there is knowledge gaps uh, and there's a need for more trials involved, involving multiple management techniques. Historically, there's been a focus on, on pesticides and varieties. Um, And we do need more R&D on the effectiveness of these pesticide alternatives, its biologicals, elicitors, how they fit into an IPM programme. Currently, there are um, a couple of projects underway which literature researchers uh, are highlighting gaps in um, knowledge and hopefully, through these DEFRA-commissioned AHDB um, projects, those clear and obvious um, gaps can be identified and R&D money can be directed that way to to try to fill those gaps.
0: Yeah no and as I understand it some of that will be about identifying if you're replacing a pesticide how effective say the biological alternative is so that kind of knowledge Um, but one of the things we did a review with the Plant Health Centre of Pesticide losses and their impact. And, you know, as part of that, we looked at alternatives. But for many of the biologicals at the moment, it was a concern around their scalability. So they might be available, but not on the kind of mass production scale that they are at the moment. So there was a bit of a gap there between if we all rushed to use them tomorrow, they simply wouldn't wouldn't be there so again maybe it's like your comments about rotation some things take time that um we don't need to do them wholesale but we could pick them up gradually and kind of transition to using more
1: sure i mean people have started working to develop uh lists of low risk uh pesticides including biologicals um and which is all available on the pesticide database, though at the moment there's only a few on there. So there needs to be a lot of work done with uh, CRD, and NFU can help here as well to further examine which pesticides we currently have could be categorised as low risk. So it's clear to the grower um, which options, if they do have uh, a suitable substitute, then going for a low risk option, is an obvious choice but I, I totally agree with what you say sometimes we can lose pesticides uh, through regulation and and there's no viable alternative and and sometimes the alternatives are not great i mean one example we talked about earlier when we were talking about emissions um if we can reduce soil disturbance we can reduce emissions from soil um a lot of the regenerative agriculture approach can revolve around use of direct drill or minimum tillage systems which um, many of which are heavily dependent on glyphosate so if glyphosate was to go many more people will be going back to the plough and and, uh, that's not going to help us get to our target of being net zero in the future
0: Mm -hmm. no and net zero clearly is you know front and central um, of much of the direction of agricultural policy at the moment and the um, farmer-led group that was working on agriculture and horticulture produced an interesting paper for the Scottish government, really recommending the linking of the net zero practices to IPM. So quite sensibly, it's almost impossible to separate them, and they, um, you know, set out options to to link them, but. You know, it's a question that everybody's wanting to know what direction we think policy will move in. So, you know, you'd have to be psychic if you knew that answer. But have you any thoughts about the, the direction that policy might be moving?
1: I would think that the policy would be promoting uh, IPM because IPM can lead to efficiencies in crop production. Um but we do have this careful balancing act to make between maximising crop production on and making best use of the cropland we have available, um, all against uh, emissions related to the production and application of pesticides and fertilisers as well. So yeah, it's, it's a fine act.
0: Um, so, I mean, I think that's been a, a good run through um, IPM. There's so many sort of strong features there. Um, some that we know people are very comfortable with um you know we've talked about resistant varieties being one um rotations, and then some of the the newer measures or the things that are perhaps wrongly regarded as a bit alternative um any final thoughts or actions that you'd want to leave at the end of this crop cast, Henry?
1: Well, just to say that IPM is a combination of these traditional techniques that many people are doing at the moment and also these novel techniques, these precision agriculture techniques, and biologicals and things like that that are coming in. Um, the key thing I would like say is to start thinking about your, your plan now um, and complete uh, the IPM plan on the Plant Health Centre website. Sit down with your main crop protection advisor and, and set out plans for the future because um, this is going to be happening. Um, IPM is going to be encouraged across the board uh, for the various reasons we've talked about, including uh, uh, ensuring business profitability. So just by making these steps now, you're setting uh, the way to future-proof your cropping side of your business anyway.
0: Thanks, Henry. Um, And we'll be talking about IPM at some of the winter roadshows that will be coming up in January. So um, coming back to some of these measures, how we can fill in um, plans, and perhaps we'll know a little bit more about policy direction um, in January as well. So thanks very much, uh, Henry, and thanks to everyone who joined and listened. Uh, and I hope you'll listen to other crop casts in this series. Thank you.